0: first the Middle East, where attempts to deliver aid to Gaza have not happened. Thousands of Palestinians have gathered trying to cross into Egypt, but its border has so far stayed closed. The United States Secretary of State has been shuttling around neighbouring states in the region in an attempt to broker access for aid. The United Nations and aid agencies had been hoping a humanitarian corridor might be open for a few hours today to deliver much-needed supplies. However, the Rafah border crossing between Egypt and Gaza remains closed. Gaza's hospitals are verging on collapse, says the UN, with a shortage of water and fuel. Egypt says the Rafah crossing has been made inoperable by Israeli airstrikes and has accused Israel of not cooperating in allowing aid into Gaza and the evacuation of foreign passport holders. Israel is carrying out the most intense bombardment Gaza has seen, has imposed a strict blockade and is preparing a ground invasion. Sebastian Asher is the BBC's Middle East analyst and editor. Sebastian, thanks for you and your team's work, including the, the team on the ground, who I know are very busy as of right now. Thanks for your time. Thank you. What is the latest on the ground in Gaza and the latest of the movement of people?
1: Well, the latest we have, as you're saying, is that um, a very large number, hundreds of thousands of people in Gaza have made the 20-mile journey down from the north to major refugee camps there in Gaza City. They were essentially warned, ordered really, by Israel a couple of days ago to move because that's where the Israeli offensive is likely to come in. So they've gone down to the south of Gaza. Remember, this is only 25 miles long, uh, the enclave, and they're in an area uh, below Wadi Gaza, which I mean from what we're hearing from aid agencies, uh, from the people there, they're finding some kind of makeshift shelter. Uh the the the, the shelters but are provided by the UN, by schools, by other agencies essentially a full. Many people though are staying with relatives, with friends as best they can. The people who are on the southern border where the Rafa crossing is the way into Egypt, they are Um, Gazans who have foreign passports, so that's Palestinian Americans and foreigners to a large degree. So, I mean, this is not a large number, but they've been waiting all day in the expectation that the crossing might finally be opened. And there was a sign early this morning that there'd been a deal done to open it uh, briefly uh, to allow some people out and to allow some humanitarian aid in. I mean, there are uh, hundreds of trucks with tons and tons of aid waiting on the Egyptian side of the border uh, to move in. That hasn't happened. Uh, I mean, there there, there were times when some trucks seemed to be moving uh, across that line, but they don't appear to have actually been bringing anything in to Gaza. And the people waiting at the crossing uh, so far haven't been able to go through. Uh, Just an hour or two ago, there was a report on Hamas media that there had been another Israeli... Um, strike on the crossing, making it uh, more difficult for anybody to get across. There have been several incidents of that over the past few days. So the situation there remains very unclear. The US with White House was saying, I think about three or four hours ago, that they still hoped that the crossing might open before the end of today. But that seems quite unlikely now. Um, I, I mean, Egypt which controls the crossing, is not eager to have a large number of Palestinians come through. And it wants wants really to have um, a deal, essentially, that anybody who comes out, at the same time there will be aid which is going in and wants to have very, very strict control of the numbers. What Egypt doesn't want, um, as it hasn't for many years, it's been uh, very restrictive, not quite as restrictive as Israel has been, but it has opened and closed the Rafa crossing regularly for security reasons. It doesn't want to upset any further the very difficult security situation has been in the Sinai, in the north of the Sinai, where this crossing goes into, where there are uh, live jihadist groups linked to al-Qaeda. Um, there's been a a a, a, a low key battle that's been going on there that the Egyptian authorities haven't really been able to master. And the other thing that Egypt doesn't want is to be responsible for what um, many Arabs see as potentially an exodus of Palestinians, maybe hundreds of thousands from Gaza, who may never be able to go back. They are seeing a pattern here that might develop similar to what happened in 1948-1949 with the uh, first war between Israel and Arab countries, which the Arab countries lost. And in that, uh, 750,000 Palestinians uh, were forced out of their homes or left their homes. Um, Few of them have returned since. So that's not a situation the Palestinians want. It's not a situation that Egypt wants in any sense to be responsible for.
0: We'll talk about where those hundreds of thousands of Gazans are supposed to go when they've been told to evacuate mm. the, north of the, um, the north of the region uh, mm. ahead of a ground invasion. But first, mm. getting that aid in, what are we hearing mm. about the ability of the hospitals and medics to treat
1: the wounded, the dying? Well, I mean, there have been big problems. I mean, there have been ultimatums that have been given to hospitals up in the north, you know, to evacuate Uh, over the past few days. Those uh, ultimatums from Israel have then been extended to some extent, but there's been huge concerned coming from those hospitals from the outside agencies as well working with them as well as the homegrown doctors but you know how can they function how, how can they continue and how can they evacuate the sick how can they make that trip that you know down the very crowded road leading to the south and even and, and 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 even there you know there's no guaranteed safety plus are there any kind of medical facilities there that will be able to handle, you know, a, an influx of thousands of injured people from uh, the latest bombardments? I mean, at the moment, I think the latest figure that Palestinian health officials released earlier today was more than 2,800 Palestinians have been killed uh, since the Hamas attack on Israel and and, and the response, uh, the heavy bombardments by Israel. Uh, targeting Hamas, but inevitably also killing civilians. We don't know how many of that number are civilians, how many are Hamas fighters and members. But beyond that, I, I think the figure is almost 10,000 now of people who've been wounded and injured. And obviously, many of those, the majority of those, are in the north, uh, which has been the main area that Israel has uh, been striking. So this is a massive logistical problem. Hospitals also have complained you know, that they've been hit some of them. Um, There was one hospital uh, uh, two or three days ago uh, where um, it looked like part of it had essentially been flattened. So this is a regular complaint when these, uh, these conflicts between Israel and Hamas happen in Gaza, that Israel, although it says that it's doing all it can to try and Um, prevent the loss of civilian lives. It says, Israel, that it goes out of its way to try and ensure this. It sends warnings, etc. It's very difficult, you know, especially for hospitals to be able to heed that. And whether it's by design or uh, or, or, or by accident, hospitals, schools do get hit from time to time. And that has happened in this conflict. So the general feeling from the medical fraternity in Gaza is that they are operating at the absolute limit of their capabilities and that they too are under threat.
0: Water fuel also essentials to keep, um, to mm. keep services running. What is stopping the humanitarian truce or have you already alluded to it with Egypt wanting a solid assurance of some <clears> sort, <throat> or is there a bigger problem with trying to achieve even a temporary truce to allow some
1: movement? I think there's a huge problem. I mean, the biggest problem, uh, you know, is inevitably that Israel and its government yeah. has made quite clear, and, and some of them being extremely outspoken, brutally outspoken, in their feeling that uh, that 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 in order to eradicate Hamas and in order to make this a war against Hamas, unlike the others that have been fought, but it will be one that will essentially see the obliteration of Hamas as uh, um, an organisation that, one, can can still pose a threat to Israel, two, can still govern Gaza, that in doing that, uh, the blockade that's existed that Israel has imposed on Gaza to a greater or lesser extent for the past 16 years since Hamas took control back in 2007 – That was turned into what Israel describes as a total siege. And you had ministers saying, you know, that no water, no fuel, no food, no electricity, nothing would be allowed into Gaza. Now, that hasn't 100% been the case, uh, but the already dire conditions that people in Gaza were living under, Uh, due to the blockade, due to mismanagement by Hamas, due to, you know, a whole huge variety of reasons. Essentially, you know, they were living on handouts from aid agencies and international organizations to a greater or lesser extent. That situation has obviously got far, far worse. And you add to that the fact that people have been displaced, they've been on the move. Um, So the situation, I mean, mean, one of the um, aid agencies was today, you know, talking about expecting disease to spread because people there are now having to drink dirty water. Uh, that's all that's available. So Israel at the moment isn't showing really any sign that it wants to let up to any degree this siege, but it's coming under more pressure. I think the longer this continues, the longer this kind of interregnum between the Hamas attack and the offensive we're expecting at any time from Israel, the more the pressure will grow and very much from Israel's own allies. I mean, the US, you mentioned Antony Blinken, the US Secretary of State, who's back in Israel, who's been engaged in this uh, uh, shuttle diplomacy across the region. I mean, his message has been today about the aid, about trying to ensure that aid does does come in. I mean, it will almost certainly be coming in through the Rafa crossing. Um, so main complicating issue is, is is Israel in terms of a blockade. But Egypt also, as I say, Uh, has has big issues about this as well. So it's not something that can just be organised overnight, although the urgency is now. What of the one million displaced? Where do they go? What do they eat?
0: What do they drink? I mean, who's putting together some sort of a plan? And it might be a moment to bring in Anthony Blinken uh, and what he's been doing with visits (laughs) to six states
1: now. Um, Uh, mm.
0: But, you know, where do those one million people go?
1: well i mean you have to understand and i'm you know i'm sure you and many of our listeners will, will 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 be understand but i mean when people and, and this isn't to downplay it in any sense but when people have lived in you know quite extreme circumstances for many many years as people in gaza have you know they have all sorts of uh uh, uh, uh you know a kind of capability to try and make the best of what's available. Now, the problem is that even that is going to run out very, very soon. And these have been the warnings that have been given by all the UN aid agencies. I mean, day in, day out saying, you know, everything is going to run out at at some point. But, you know, these are societies that have been held together by sellotape and glue for a long time. And when people are used to that, to some extent, they can continue finding ways through all That's still around. I mean, you know, you've 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 had people providing their own electricity, uh, getting water through desalinating it themselves, all sorts of businesses growing in Gaza that have you know stepped in where the blockade stopped other things coming in and where Hamas and you know all the problems with the lack of money, the lack of employment, everything like that. People have still found a way, just about to. survive. Obviously, they're now pushed to the very edge, but you cannot underestimate their ability to adapt to extremely difficult circumstances. Now, that isn't going to last for much longer, but at the moment, that is essentially the situation. People have gone south. Some are returning. I mean, I've been hearing from people who've been saying that the situation is so crowded, it's so difficult, it's so impossible down in the south. They'd rather go back and at least be in their own homes and feel more secure there, even though that is where where, as I say, you're expecting the brunt of the Israeli ground offensive if and when it comes to hit. Let's, so, let, I, I mean, yeah, let, yes, let, let's
0: talk about efforts to try, A, deal with the humanitarian situation as best as possible, and B, prevent this spreading into a wider conflict on more fronts, something Iran's foreign minister is, almost, is already saying is, uh, what were his words, uh, almost inevitable.
1: Almost inevitable, yes.
0: And so, what else is in play here, including the US and others? I know Russia's president has reportedly been on the phone to all and sundry, including um, Benjamin yep. Netanyahu. But what yes. will they be seeking to do, the US and others, to prevent a wider conflict? And where are the potential fracture points there?
1: well i mean you've got two un resolutions that are going to be put forward tonight um but they're kind of contrary to each other which pretty much speaks for what you've just said i mean you've got vladimir putin on one side who is kind of you know going at it from one political angle and then you've got the us going at it from another and they're not there's no joined up thing here at the moment where they're working together in concert to try and one, as you say, the immediate circumstance of absolutely ensuring that aid gets into Gaza and that people who are just about surviving now are given the ability to continue to survive in the coming weeks, possibly months, of what could be a long uh, offensive from Israel if 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 Israel decides to go ahead with it, which seems the likeliest thing. The other side of it, as you said, is the um, fear, the concern that it could spread now I mean, the immediate place that you look for that is in the north of Israel, up to Lebanon, Hezbollah, and also some of the Palestinian factions from uh, Palestinian refugee camps down in the south of Lebanon. Now, those, those factions, those Palestinian factions, which Hamas is one, but there are others uh, 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 as well, have launched some attacks, but they've been very limited so far across the border. Hezbollah, which controls South Lebanon pretty much completely, the, uh, the Lebanese army has really no writ there whatsoever, um, Has must have allowed that to some extent, and Hezbollah has had its own skirmishes with, with Israel and has targeted uh, day by day more um, uh, um, uh, Israeli military positions just over the border. And what we had today was an evacuation by the Israeli army of its communities closest to that border. On the other side in Lebanon, Has also been a move to do that. So, I mean, you know, the kind of feeling was that Hezbollah, this um, very powerful Lebanese movement, which is even more strongly backed by Iran and Hamas. I mean, without Iran, Hezbollah wouldn't really exist. But, it is more powerful than Hamas in terms of its artillery. I mean, it has it has hundreds of thousands of missiles? It has an extremely experienced now uh, war-hardened core of fighters who've been in Syria the last decade or so, fighting there for for President Assad, keeping him in power. So they are a a a you know they are not to be toyed with as as a military force, and you know they've given as good as they got to an extent, with Israel in the past. So this is the fear. And at the moment, they're staying within the rules of engagement with Israel. Uh, t- uh, two, uh, two, two people on the Israeli side have been killed in the past day, one civilian, one, 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 one uh, soldier. And on the other side in Lebanon, I think three Hezbollah uh, fighters have so far been killed and a couple of civilians. And there was a journalist, a Reuters journalist, got got killed when he was reporting what was going down. What, what was going on in South Lebanon. So that is a very, very um, combustible uh, uh, border. Um, and as you say, the Iranian foreign minister has been talking up the idea, he's been saying essentially, that the clock is ticking down, that the more that this continues, the more it moves towards an inevitability of spreading to other fronts. And that would be the first front, there's no doubt about that. But Hezbollah, has its own concerns within Lebanon. The last time that Hezbollah had a major confrontation with Israel back in 2006, Israel launched a major invasion of the south of Lebanon, right up to Beirut. absolutely pounded the area. And Hezbollah, although you know, Many Lebanese and many Arabs across the world see it as a powerful resistance force against Israel. There was also a huge backlash against Hezbollah, seen as bringing the wrath of Israel down on Lebanon and causing all this destruction. So it was a wobbly moment, for Hezbollah. So they have to bear that in mind. I mean, they are a relatively, I mean, as, as far as you can be, the kind of organisation that it is, a relatively rational player within Lebanon. It has to think about its role in Lebanon as much as outside Far more so, I think, than Hamas. It has more at stake, actually, in Lebanon, perhaps than Hamas has in the Palestinian territories. Thank you, Sebastian.
0: Thank you very, very much. Sebastian Asher is the BBC's Middle East analyst and editor.